Hey, Midnight Founder fans, we got some great news for you. The e-competition sponsored by RevRoad is now not just once a year, but it's twice a year. And this is where you as a founder can come and pitch your business to a fantastic panel of judges and win prize money. Central Bank's excited to sponsor it. We'll be giving away $10,000 to the top winner and 14,500 for all the winners. And I would love to hand you the check for $10,000, but you gotta get your application in. So come join us at the RevRoad e-competition and get your applications into ecomp.revroad.com by March 11th at midnight. We'll watch for those to come. Welcome to another episode here at the Midnight Founders Podcast. We're so excited to be with you today. This is AJ Rounds from RevRoad and Jake McCarg from CB Vault. Here at the Midnight Founders Podcast, we focus on telling behind the scenes stories for what makes a successful entrepreneur. We're excited for another week. Here we go. AJ and I are excited to be here today with Curtis Blair, who is the president of the Utah Valley Chamber of Commerce. Thank you for having me. It's yeah, we're excited to have you. So you've done a ton of other things, obviously. Um, the chamber, the president of the chamber is just the current role that you have. Uh, but can you give us a 30-second or 60-second pitch on what you guys are focused on with the chamber and kind of what what's happening there. Yeah, you bet. I, I did not know that this role was in my, in my uh, you know, career path, but I'm delighted to be here on your podcast and also to serve as the current president of the chamber. And the path getting there has been, been fun. And, 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 I'll, and I'll share you know, some thoughts that way. But our mission at, at the Utah Valley Chamber is to enable businesses to um, uh have a voice in the direction and trajectory of the growth of our valley, right? We believe that, uh, that through engagement, through principle-based policy, through you know, purpose-driven events, that businesses can come together to help make the chamber uh, a, a strong platform to enable our community to leverage its strengths, kind of you know, watch each other's back on our weaknesses and grow our business community, ultimately to make our valley the best place to live, to work, to learn, and to play. That's it in a nutshell. So we've got five great you know, uh, institutions of higher ed right here in the Valley. We've got some of the great, you know, some of the awesome, you know, coolest, most awesome businesses in this Valley. If you went to the, you know, a jazz game, you'll look around and you'll see that a lot of the logos are from businesses from Utah Valley. Right, and so that's just an example. The tech sector, with what Silicon Slopes is doing, uh, the the contributions from CB Vault and RevRoad, create this ecosystem that's really exciting. I I, I mean, I, you could pinch me every once in a while on uh, on a day where I get to rub shoulders with some amazing people and partnerships throughout this valley uh, that really do um, speak to the power of of Utah County as as a place to 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 grow a business. Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, you know, we started the CB Vault, what, 18 months ago. And so I, I've i been involved for the last 18 months. And it's just every door you open, you meet another 50 great people that are building cool businesses or doing cool things or giving back to this ecosystem like you talked about. And I do think that we're in a special time here in Utah. And it's it's a unique place for entrepreneurship. 
It's no longer the best kept secret, right? I mean, no. we have, uh, we're on the, it's like Hobble Creek up here up the canyon. It used to be the best kept secret golf course. It no longer is, nor is Utah Valley. In fact, if there were a ticker symbol that would go underneath Utah County, you know, <laughs> it, it would say, bye, 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 bye. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's, it's like Jake was saying, it's just, it's this co- uh, coalescence of all these great things coming together that's just really making this the the mecca for companies yeah. to grow right and you get to be a part of that yeah. and have that platform that blank canvas to kind of really add the color and that's that's fantastic yeah we really are the startup county i think of of the state and i think as goes utah valley so will go the state of utah and i'm brash enough to say that as goes the state of utah hopefully so would go the nation right innovative approach to solving problems an entrepreneurial spirit no matter how large or small your business is um, you know, being inclusive in, in, in perspective and thought, um, um, uh, enabling a diversity of, of experiences, those that are raised and, and grew up here, plus welcoming those that come in from, you know, outside of, of Utah to bring a unique, you know, spin, flair, and color to what we're doing here, which is, you know, a, the, the hotbed, I believe, of, of uh, business growth in the nation. Yeah. So, I've said several times on the podcast, I, I'm not from Utah Valley per se. I'm from Northern Utah, but um, I never knew that I would end up here. But having lived in other locations around the country and, you know, Hawaii and Seattle and Cincinnati, some of these places, there is nowhere that feels the same as it does here when you're driving down the freeway. You can just feel almost the energy and the excitement and the bustle. And it's just, it's thrilling. It's it cool. is. It really is. It's fun to see that spirit really displace what we used to be known for, which was like this MLM capital of the world. <laughs> yes. right? But but even so still, true. that that still rings true to some of the principles that we've talked about, right? Innovative yeah. approaches. I mean, you know, relationship capital being some of the most important that, that they leveraged, but it's nice to have a new moniker yeah. attached to Utah Valley. For sure. So cool. So I know uh, a little bit about your background um, and I'm, I'm really excited that they chose somebody with your background to be the president of the chamber. Um, I think it, it again, buys into this philosophy that we are a startup uh, county and that we're focused on entrepreneurship. But can you share with the listeners kind of how, how you got to where you are? And, and let's just hear way back from the beginning. How did entrepreneurship start in Curtis Blair's life? So getting through college, I uh, ran a t-shirt business. Right. And it was a fun thing that was a side gig. And it was, um, it was a real interesting way. funny we've heard way. that a couple like of times. Four, yeah, like four we? well, people. That, yeah. Like, like Is that in, thing? In T-shirt the, business. Yeah, in the early 90s, that was, that the, was thing, the thing. Right? Huh? I mean, I remember the Santiago, one of the Santiago <laughs> brothers, you know, did funny. Above the Rim. And you thought, oh, this, oh we can do this. And so yeah. we, we entered the space. And um, we had a, a license to put comic strips on the front of T-shirts. And, uh, and then we just used a, you know, an independent contractor arrangement that were paid on commission, all performance-based. And then the artists that we paid were also ba- you know, based on sales. So we didn't have to put any you know, outlay of cash in advance. Everything was based on, on performance. And so it's about the only way you could really you know, bootstrap you know, business based on a margins as, as thin as they were. Um, and that got me through college. And I remember, you know, the look on my mom and dad's face when I told them with a freshly minted degree from BYU that I was going to try to make a run at the t-shirt business full time. <laughs> and they were like, what? And that's when, you know, you catch that entrepreneurial bug 
it's it's hard to let go, right? And so, um, sure enough, after after three or four years of of, of doing that. There was a doctor in Salt Lake that said, I want this business for my two kids that are graduating from college. I want them to experience what it's like to, to run and to a business and to get inside, you know, the operations and the relationships and all of that. And so that was kind of my way of saying, hey, it wasn't so bad. So it was a fun, a fun experience getting through college and then making a run at it. And then, you know, you, you try your next thing. And you only have so much oxygen as an entrepreneur. So I ended up, you know, exhausting those resources trying to start the next thing that never did go. So you go to the tent where there's oxygen as an entrepreneur and you work at a corporate gig, right? And so I did that for a time and that enabled me to, you know, shore up, you know, some more resources, um, uh, kind of get my, my knees, you know, back underneath me. And then you can venture back out of the tent and try the entrepreneurial, you know, um, walk, which is really a walk in the fog at times, right? I mean, you really are taking steps, you know, and you're kind of feeling your way as you go. And uh, so following, following, you know, that experience, I, I started working with um, uh, a company that, that um, uh, uh, by the name of Fila Golf in Salt Lake City. And I was their director of marketing and had a blast. They pulled the license back to, to Italy. And there I am again, trying to look for something that I would do, um, you know, either as an entrepreneur or work for a corporate gig. But when my non-compete was up, then I started a, th a second company. And it, uh, it was a lot of fun. We have a lot of clients. I used the, and leveraged the relationships that we had in golf, because Fila was a golf brand uh, and a tennis brand. It's kind of what they were known for and uh, found some clients in the, the Asia Pacific Rim that wanted golf equipment. And golf at that time was just on its way up. And, you know, look back 20 years, I mean, it was really on the cusp. And now it's now there are many, many, you know, golfers and there's a ton of following. The affluent play mostly in Japan and Korea, but there is a huge golf following there. So we hit that wave just at the right time. And... Um, ran that company for, for uh, eight years, and we sold it its first time to a guy out of Arizona that knew the golf industry inside and out. And uh, he defaulted on his loan, and we ended up getting the business back. During that time, I went to work for an IT company, and I thought I, I was a fish out of water. I had no <laughs> idea what I was doing there. Golf, I mean, IT. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, and, and in fact, I remember um, uh, a time when... Um, uh, I had a boss that said, you know, you've got great enthusiasm, but when it comes to IT, you're an empty suit. And Ooh. I remember <laughs> the feeling yeah. that, that, I mean, and, and that state has stayed with me for the better part of 15 years now. And uh, was, was he doing hard. it in a way of like constructive feedback or was he just trying to like Dis no, on you. he was he. I, I, the the that particular business at the time, I think, I had signs of cracking and mm. and not making it long term. And I think it it, it was the point at which you know you you kind of say, well, who's with me and who's who's not, and and uh, so you know it did motivate me. It motivated motivated me to figure out, all right, where are my strengths? Where are my weaknesses? What can I do to improve? Is it is it in speaking? Is it in putting together business plans? Is it executing or negotiating a deal? I mean, what, what, where is it? And, you know, gratefully, he took the time to kind of mentor me along. Um, but um, uh, I left, 
to run the business where, when the, that we had started. So the gentleman defaulted. It gave me a window of opportunity to go back, and so we went back. And again, we're back in the golf industry. We opened up three or four more markets. We ended up really doing well on that second run of that business. Rough, rough to be golfing yeah. on a day-to-day well, basis. Well, you know, Yikes. here's the funny thing <laughs> is, is that I'd get out and play and they'd be like, you need to be better at the sport <laughs> if you're going to be in the industry. <laughs> Was that right? the feedback he's giving you? You got to up your yeah, golf game. Yeah, so, so. You're a golfer hitting with yeah. empty clubs. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So that, that encouraged me to get better because we were in the industry, right? And, uh, and then we branched out from golf to other things and it was a lot of fun. But I sold that business the fall of 2019. And so all told, we'd ran it for 16 years. So not too long ago, yeah. Yeah. Between yeah. two. Yeah. yeah. So you yeah. sold it so twice. two iterations, time. sold it twice. Crazy. And the second group was a group from, from San Diego. And they, they nailed it. They did great. In fact, they're still running it. They thought that they would um, run it for a year. I stayed on, uh, you know, per contract to, for, you know, to, to help them for a year. They didn't even need me that long. And they were going to move the business back to San Diego. Well, they have loved the environment the ecosystem that we talked about, the labor workforce here. And, uh, you know, they've, they moved up, bought homes at the right time uh, in Lehigh, running the business out of Vineyard, and they're still here. Wow. That speaks to, you know, I mean, you, you, to uproot, you know, two of the brothers that, that bought this business and their families to come out. I mean, San Diego is not a terrible place to live. I was going to so. say, especially from San Diego. <laughs> yeah. So it amazing. is a testament to what so we have. Fast forward, you know, a year from that, f- sold that in fall of 2019. And then and a year from there, we're in the middle of COVID. And then that is when uh, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Stan Lockhart, reached out to me and said, hey, listen, there's only one thing that a chamber can do. I understand you know a little bit about golf. He had heard I'd sold the business, asked if I could help run a golf tournament for the Utah Valley Chamber. And I'd played in it, but I'd never really was a member of the chamber. Um, but uh, I said, sure, I've got a few cycles. What could that be? 15, 20 hours a week? Not a big deal. So uh, dove, dove in. We got everything going, everything planned. And I got to meet some of the best people in the Valley from all of these businesses that were members of the chamber for years. And they were itching to get out and do something as well during that COVID summer. And so long story short, I, uh, they asked me if I would, you know, run the, run the chamber, uh, after, after an event that I felt like went, went great. And a lot of people came out, but we had a, an appetite for it. And the timing was right. We still had to keep the flag in and they had the foam right down at the cup. Right. So you just had to clip, clip the foam and it was in. Um, but we had a great time. And, and again, um, you know, that, that sort of speaks to the, the idea of, of um, you know, bootstrapping a chamber because it had closed its doors for nine months. And if it weren't for Stan Lockhart that came in and really gave it CPR, I don't know that the chamber would exist today. And then he turned it over and then a group of us, you know, provided some more triage and got it going. Shout out but to I Stan. told them, That's shout awesome. out to Stan. Yeah, he's awesome. He's, he's been my mentor and a super, super mm-hmm. friend and, and, and for, for businesses in this valley, as you well know. We need to get AJ. him on this podcast. Actually. I think so. Yeah, we should. Um, but this uh, will be a good way to do it. We can just send him this episode. There you go. Like, hey, listen, your name. But I Dan told Curtis him. Officially invited you to be on <laughs> yeah, the podcast. That's right. <laughs> on Consider <air>. the invitation <laughs> extended. Um, but I told Stan, I said, I don't know how to run a, an organization that's, first of all, it's a nonprofit. I've never been involved in a nonprofit. Second of all, there's a legislative focus. And I didn't know a single elected official. I mean, I'd heard of him. I kind of saw him on the news. But to rub shoulders and get to know him and help steer and navigate policy for the state, that wasn't 
in my portfolio. And, and I told Stan in the, in the search committee, I said, listen, what you get from me is I know how to bootstrap a company and I'll make something happen with just a few resources and then we'll build and we'll build it slowly. But um, I don't know anything about politics. I'm not even sure I like politics. And so somehow or another, I still got the nod. And uh, it's been 150 miles an hour ever since. And we've had a great time. And it's because of the things we've talked about. The principles that you find in this valley, um, the, the innovative spirit. I still am involved in entrepreneurism. I get to see it firsthand. Um, I get to mentor a few companies along the way. And even at the chamber, we get to help build businesses by building their relationship capital. And I think if there's any takeaway from my experience is, is that of the types of capital that there are out there, intellectual capital, relationship capital, financial capital, I would say invest in relationship capital. Because mm. as as, if you do that well, and then you add what you know to the people that you serve, the intellectual capital, that equals financial capital. I like that model. That, then the money will come. Yeah. A lot of people think, gosh, if I just had 10,000 bucks, I could start a business. Well, I'll tell you. I think that if you had relationships and a little bit of, of, of uh, value to add to those relationships, then, then the money would come. It's a great formula. Never thought of it that way. That's cool. Yeah, it's also something that AI can't replace. So yeah, you're not <laughs> going to chat GPT that one. Yeah, 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 you can't replace that relationship focus. So yeah, Curtis, I was going to ask you. Um, I mean, and by the way, kudos. You, I remember sitting down with you, and you were you had just been appointed, just I think yeah. a month into it or something, and and you're like, you know, I think the biggest thing the chamber needs is visibility and exposure, right? Yeah. And that was one of your big um, initiatives. And I got to tell you, I see you and the chamber and all the things you're doing all over all the time. I know those are absolutes, but I mean, you're very active and there's a lot happening. So kudos for doing that. What what, what has been your secret and your, your kind of strategy to get the word out and, and move that along? Well, there are a lot of unsung heroes in our valley. And mm -hmm. these are businesses and people and entities that have been doing great work, but didn't really have a channel to get the word out. And to your point, that was one of the things that I saw is, I mean, if a, if, a, if a tree falls in a forest and no one's around to hear it, did it make a sound? Well, we want it to make a sound. We wanted the great things that were going on from the point of the mountain all the way down to Santa Quinn, the businesses that were really in their own right, bootstrapping and clawing their way out of COVID and making, you know, uh, strides in, in, in partnerships and collaborations and you know, and then they would get, you know, even those that were larger in, in scope and getting Series A funding and really finding themselves, you know, building a building on I-15. I mean, to tell that story from the, the channels and from the perspective that the chamber had, I felt like was the best way to, um, you know, gain exposure to the chamber wasn't to put a light on the chamber but was to cast a light from the chamber to those individuals, those businesses, and those stories that were already being told, but didn't have a platform. For and it's it another do. level of validation, really, for yeah. them, right? Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, well done. Yeah, I, uh, I think I met you um, shortly after I started, and it was clear to me that you were um, a perfect fit for the role. Uh, I kind of knew the space a little from my role at the city. Um, and I had been to a few chamber events and I knew that the energy that you would bring would revitalize the chamber. And not that it was like struggling a ton before COVID, but yeah. I think you have a different energy and a different focus 
that will help kind of continue to propel that growth that the chamber's seen since you well, kind of brought it back from and life. And I think that's what some of the founders of the chamber 2.0 yeah. brought to this, this, you know, new vision of what the chamber could be. I mean, you look at Stan Lockhart. I mean, think about his attributes, right? I mean, you talk about the art of possibility that he could write a book on that. And, and while running and a marathon, while running a marathon, <laughs> um, I think about the Cam Martins, right? That, that, um, you know, really put, put the chamber on the, on the map by saying we have right here in our own backyard, some of the greatest, most, most, um, important and, um, available raw materials for growing business right here. We don't need to lean in on the Salt Lake, um, you know, demographic, whether it's the Salt Lake Chamber or the University of Utah, which are great institutions, but in our own right, in our own backyard, you know, as we continue to grow and we develop these relationships, there is plenty of raw materials right here. So the Cam Martins, the Stan Lockharts, and oh, if I get naming names, I'm going to get We're myself in trouble. Yeah. But, um, but you know them, I know them, and, and they, um, we stand on great shoulders here. I mean, not the least of which is our governor that, that led us through a recession of 2008. And then, you know, uh, several, you know, a decade later, here he is navigating COVID and getting us through that. And, you know, he, he came in when it was tough in 2008 and he went out when it was tough and all the while kept his chin up and made this state what it is today. So we stand on great shoulders just to name a few names. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Okay. So, um, if we go back, you, uh, you started a company right out of school well, you had a company during school, um, and then you spent some time in the corporate environment. Um, what did you take or what lessons did you learn from being part of that corporate environment that you've mm -hmm. been able to incorporate into your you, entrepreneurship? You, you bet. No, it's a great question. And, you know, as you look at that, that analogy that I said, you go back to the tent and you get oxygen so that you can go back out into the fog and be an entrepreneur. Uh, I'm so grateful for those corporate you know, gigs that I had, those jobs that, 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 that bet on me and said, hey, listen, come and bring what you can to our organization. And um, the thing that I learned was, is that how important it is that when you're growing, you know, your company, that you really lean in heavily on um, processes and, um, and, and, and having, you know, this you got to drive to profitability as an entrepreneur, right? Like that's that step one. But you've got to lean in when you become more uh, established as a business. You've got to really be efficient in your processes before you can then do the third thing, which is to scale, right? And it's really hard to jump those so too quickly. And what the corporate world kind of gave me this idea of is is is, is that you can do more with less if you have good processes, you know, great technology. And, and you put the right people in the right place. And, uh, and, and as a growing company, as an entrepreneur, you're thinking, well, I mean, you're the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, right? I mean, you're, 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 you're doing books at night because you don't want to do them during the day. And then you're, doing the, you're the janitor on the weekends. Like, you do it all. And mm -hmm. that's great. And I'll tell you, one of the things is, is for, for our listeners out there, you know, and we've got a few grays in our hair, <laughs> but... You know, the, the, the which idea we, of, which we deny hundred <laughs> percent, right? Well, maybe AJ, you're doing okay. Um, but, um, the, 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 there's this feeling that being an entrepreneur is super glamorous. You've got all this spare time. You can right. direct your own destiny in a lot of ways. It's true, but what they don't know 
is that you're on 24-7, and it's steep on both sides. I mean, when things are really good, I mean, it's steep up. And when things are not good, there it is steep down. The corporate world, right, or being a professor at a university, if you're tenured or whatever, you know, it's a pretty even jump. You get a cost of living raise, things are pretty stable, you have insurance, all those things are great. And, and, and for many and most of those that are in that, that's, that's how they thrive and they have add value and there's, there's, great, there's great contributions there. But for those of us that, that are crazy enough to go out and try something and be, be an entrepreneur, um, it isn't as glamorous as it, as it, as it you know, is, is made out to be. Um, so this idea of it's steep on both sides. And we're the only breed that I know are willing to work 80 hours to avoid working 40. <laughs> Let that sink in, right? Sometimes for nothing, right? Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> for, for very nothing. little. Yeah. I, I love that you said that. Well said, because I mean, they, they are the highs of the highs and the lows of the lows, yeah. right? And one thing we do at Railroad, which um, we've had to learn over, the, over time is one of the criteria that we look at, one of many pieces of criteria when we're bringing in a, a, another company, a portfolio company, is have they had entrepreneurial experience previously? Not successful. We're not that's helpful, but not required. But do they know what that journey looks like? Because if they're doing this for the first time and they start to get into those highs and lows and they're not prepared for that, some of them, they're just blindsided and, and they freeze or it just doesn't work out or they yeah. can't handle it at home or whatever. Yeah. And, and that is hard to recover from. It is. So well said. I mean, you have to look for those people that that are yeah. kind of seasoned in that, for good or for bad. And you've heard the secret, right? It's fail efficiently, right? And, and, and I believe that getting up to bad as many times as you can is the secret to entrepreneurism. I mean, having, having one shot at entrepreneurism, I mean, you, you have to hit a home run on your first pitch. I mean, that's not very common. Um, but uh, I like the idea of getting up to bad as often as you can. Yeah. And in fact, as you know, as you look at, 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 at the businesses that I've started, I've had two, you know, Decent successes. I had two mediocre businesses. Those are the toughest ones because you don't know whether to kill them or to grow them. They just kind of <laughs> hang around, they but they'll go. suck all the energy out of you, not, not, not to mention the resources because they just kind of hang out in the middle. It's easy to kill the two that were horrible. Like, that, you, know, the, you know, of the six companies I've started, I've had two, two, and two. And it was easy to, 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 to do away with the ones that had no direction and just weren't going to take root. But those two middle ones were like, oh my gosh, what do you do? You just keep investing more and more time and energy and resources and money and you find out that those were harder than the than the, than the two on each spectrum right yeah. so anyway that's it's getting up to bat as that's often right. as you can I love that. and then failing efficiently I always hear the failing efficiently that's an important part but I believe it's getting up to bat as many times as you can yeah I think Paul Brown talked about that in his episode yeah, I think so. you're right yeah um, I think uh, what you said uh, really resonates with kind of the theme uh, we have for the podcast, you know, it's the midnight founders podcast. It's this idea that people think when they see a successful entrepreneur, that it was a happened overnight, get rich quick scheme that yeah. kind of panned out for them. Yeah. What they don't see is all of those countless hours that you spend, you know, doing bookkeeping at night or trying to accomplish everything you had to accomplish because you spent your entire day in meetings or like solving other fires that had come up. Um, so I think that there, there's a lot of truth there in, you know, you have to understand that, that you are going to be kind of the person that has to solve all of those problems that come up. So I think that's really, uh, really good advice. I think the at-bats is, is also really good advice. I love it too.
Curtis, I'm interested to hear, I mean, behind every fantastic entrepreneur, there's, you know, there's their significant other at home, mm -hmm. you know, or, or doing what they're doing and, and helping make that journey possible. Tell us about that in your life. Well, yeah. So, you know, we uh, married a, a gal from the Bay Area in California, and we met at BYU. She is awesome in every way. Um, I remember thinking, you know, when we first met, we became friends, and I remember thinking, uh, I took her on a trip somewhere. I think we went to Santa Cruz, and we were riding in a roller coaster. I remember looking over at her and thinking, boy, her future husband's going to have a real difficult time with how close of friends we are. And then it hit me. What, what, what's that? That doesn't, that, that formula doesn't work. Wait a second. Could and, that be me? Hold and on. And then, then that's when it, that's, that's when it hit me. I actually had to say those words in my own mind before I realized this was, this was a relationship that was, that was growing and, and, and meaningful to me. And so, you know, we, we've been married 32 years. We have five kids. Congrats. We're in Spanish Fork. We, we, we love that area. It's changed in the last five years. It's changed so much more, more than the previous 15. We've been there 20. And these last five, it's just gone crazy. But it, but as goes Spanish Fork, so goes Utah Valley, right? Or Vineyard, so goes Utah Valley. Like that's what we should get used to as the norm, is that kind of growth. But there's a wonderful vibe, you know, in this valley. And I'm so grateful that we're raising our family here. I uh, grew up in Denver. I say I grew up in Denver. It's where I went to high school. But I've lived in eight states growing up and moved every two years since I was four years old. And so I'm actually an introvert. I really am more shy than, than, than I think most people would probably believe. But because of moving every two years and having to create a new set of friends, um, you know, and, and knowing that when we moved, the likelihood of us moving again made it hard to invest in friendship. But I did it anyway because the oldest of six, um, uh, it, it, I wanted to set some sort of example for, for, for my siblings, but then we as siblings became really, really close. And then my friends were my brother's friends and their friends were my friends. And so we really were able to kind of rally around each other through that many moves. And then here I am, I don't know if I'm an introvert or an extrovert, but, but, uh, boy, I really was inside of a shell during my junior high school years and, and even through my high school. But, uh, um, yeah, so you're not wrong. I mean, it takes a great support system. And I think having, you know, having a family net, a safety net like that has been, has been, you know, a true blessing, probably one I undervalue, you know, at times. Um, but, you know, just as important as having, you know, a safety net like that in a spouse or in a family um, is having mentors. And I even find that some of my favorite mentors are individuals I've never met, but it's the books that I've read. And I have found myself you know, leaning in on the mentors of books uh, over the last probably seven, eight years. I used to just read self-help stuff. And that was, you know, I read my first self-help book was uh, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Napoleon Hill, Hill yeah. I, everyone goes right to chapter 11, which, which, which was <laughs> sexual transmutation, or I can't remember what it was, is taking all that energy and focusing it instead on, yeah. on the sexual experience, focus it on your business. And then I read the other chapters and they're all great, but I used to spend most of my time reading these self-help books. Now I want to hear what people have to say about their journey. So now I'm reading more 
you know, biographies and autobiographies. Interesting. You know, about, David McCormick stuff and things. Yes, exactly. Mm. And my first, you know, uh, book of that nature was Steve Jobs. Mm. And I could not believe what that guy had been through and some of the, you know, some of his own experiences, good and bad, many which he made his own bed and had a lay in it, right? But also, you know, the people that rallied around him and then most recently Bob Iger and in, in The Right of a Lifetime, some great books. So my safety net has been my wife and family, but also these books and, and these, uh, you know, individuals, mentors that have, that have crossed paths with in my life. Okay, I'm writing it down. So Bob Iger? Yeah, former CEO of Disney, Disney but he was just yeah. reinstated. So they, they saw that. Yeah. Just barely, and, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. So, and that's an older book. I'd probably say four or five years old. Yeah. But uh, that's an interesting shift. I, I'm curious. I want to try that myself to go from, I kind of do a, a mix and a blend, but I feel, I, I don't know if I should say this, but I feel a lot more inspired sometimes by these autobiographies because yeah. it's real people, real things, real moments yeah. that you can kind of go through with them. Right. Yeah. And I, I like that. So I'm going to make more of a focus on that. That's cool. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Okay, so uh, obviously you've been down this road a couple, two successful times, two whatevers, mm-hmm. and then two unsuccessful. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure you have plenty of stories you can tell about bumps in the road mm-hmm. or challenges or crazy experiences in entrepreneurship. But do you have kind of a story or an experience that comes to mind that uh, maybe is above all the rest? Yeah, you you bet. Um, some of the lessons that you learn the hard way are the ones that stick with you the most. And I love it when I get together, even in a podcast like this, and and, and friends like like you and others that we, you know we go out to lunch. We we don't talk about our successes and all our wins. In fact, the <laughs> antithesis is true. We roll up our sleeves and we show each other the scars. And Commiserate. The, the, yeah, and we're <laughs> like, oh, you think that was a lesson? Yeah. You know, this is a doozy I learned, right? And one of the, you know, I mean, I, I, I could share two or three, but uh, one that really has stuck with me um, is, um, you know, this idea of, of knowing when it's the right time to, to grow a particular business in a particular industry. And I went through all of the MBA um, studies on, on how to measure the effectiveness or the probability of success of a business. And you've heard of the Porter model and all these other areas that, and, and, and teachings that, that, that mean something. But one of the things that I found was the key to success is it's great, it's great to know, you know, who your competition would be and, you know, what your substitutes are. And if you look at the Porter model, it's a real, and I had a mentor, actually Rich Christensen that taught me this model uh, from uh, uh, Mr. Porter to the professor himself. And he drew this out on a wonderful graph. And, and Rich and I, uh, as we were building one of our businesses together, we looked at each other and said, he missed one major component of the Porter model. And that is owning a channel. So you can have a great product, a great service, right? And you'd rather have a, you know, a B idea with A execution than the reverse, right? Exactly. You, you, you need great execution and you can take any idea and make it, make it wonderful. But the one piece that I learned was how important it is to own the channel. It's, it's if you have a channel, if you have a customer base, if you have an audience that you can reach out to, it won't matter how great or, or, or mediocre your product is. It might, you might even be excused a little bit on your execution as long as you're developing that. But if you own the channel, you then can own that space. And that is, that is uh, you know, if you happen to have a, a relationship at a, at, a, at a group of a chain of stores, that's a channel. 
If you happen to have a friendly buyer at Costco, that's a channel, right? So you take your your best product and your and your and your most competent service abilities to to execute uh, on on delivering that product. But the key to success, looking back now in 25 years, is having having a channel, and 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 owning your customer. Don't ever let go of your customer. Don't 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 third party that relationship out by any means. Own own the customer. Have that relationship within your reach at all times. And so the channel and customer base has been probably the two most important things. Had if I could go back, I would have spent more time on that. Was there a certain experience that caused you to learn that the hard way? Is that why that sticks in your yeah, mind so much? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so um, uh, working with the Asia Pacific Rim has been an interesting experience. And this is where it kind of came to a head. You get down, you get, you, you, you have a meeting set, uh, and you're, whether you're, you're in, uh, in Japan or South Korea or, or other areas, you know how important relationship capital is to them. You hear it, you read it in books, I saw it in movies, but you don't know it until you're there. The proper way to do business in those countries. Very respectful and Absolutely. traditional. And, and um, as you get around the table and you talk about your product and service, there's just a lot of you know, hemming and hawing going around. There really isn't anything happening. But they're, they're actually watching your behavior as you deal with the silent moments, as you are with your, as, as well as you deliver your pitch, they want it to be a little uncomfortable. So do you sit there and start bouncing your knee? You know, do you start looking around the room? Do you become impatient? I remember becoming impatient. And I said, are we, are we going to, can, can we talk more about why we, we just spent, you know, 16 hours on a, on a flight. flight to come over. <laughs> can we move this along a little bit? That was the death knell. Because that wasn't what that meeting was about. It wasn't to talk business. It was to look at each other and respond to the nuances of developing the relationship. So I learned my lesson the hard way, that, that way. And then another meeting, having taking a breath, figuring that out, because you had to be a fast learner. You, as an entrepreneur, you got to learn fast. Um, the next meeting, we took our time. We let things marinate. We let them bring up as many questions as I brought up. We let them pitch as often as I pitched, even though we were the one clearly making the sale. I wanted them to sell themselves to us. And then by the time that 90-minute meeting, which is uncomfortable, uh, ebbed and flowed. It, it had silent moments, and there were times when I thought we were just going to fall asleep. We were invited to dinner. <laughs> when the, at the moment that you're invited to dinner is the moment that you know the, the, the negotiations begin, the work begins. Because we get around dinner and food is a love language for many people in business, especially outside of the United States. And that really helped develop this idea of you know, being focused on the customer in all of their shapes and sizes and forms and speed to, to, to do business with you. And I, I, I treasure those moments uh, even to today. And we have microcosms of that in different areas of, of business and in different industries. Um, the tech industry goes a lot quicker. I mean, you really, you know, but the hospitality industry takes its time a little bit, right? Um, the, the love languages that, that, that I spoke of, right? The food and relationships and um, 
you know, uh, uh, doing hard things together, right? Doing retreats, going on hikes. Those are all part of owning the customer and developing the channel. Golf, you had to have golfed with Golf's a few a big customers. Deal. Yes, and golf, well, yeah, I mean, obviously, that was a big part of it. Um, but That's it, the golfing yeah, expert there. Yeah, but, but golfing in Asia is uh, a really interesting, it's an all-day event. You literally get up in your pajamas and go to the course, you take, you have breakfast, you shower there, you get your massage there and you get ready. You play your nine holes of golf. You come in for an hour and a half and have lunch. You can even get a massage between nine. And then you go back out, play the, the rest of the, 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 the round. And you come back in and shower and go home in the pajamas that you came in at the beginning of the day. That's golfing in, in, in Japan. It's an all day experience. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, I mean, I don't think Kelsey would let me golf very often. I was going to no. say that would be, I can't even imagine that yeah. working here. Do you, do you wish, I don't know if this is the right question, but do you wish there were some more of those elements incorporated in kind of our ecosystem here? Like a little bit of slow down, build a relationship, that kind of thing. I mean, yeah. And I think, on that? I think companies that do it well are ones that strike the right balance, right? They know when to put the foot on the accelerator and times, you know, I mean, if you've got, you know, a quick, a quick power lunch meeting, that's, that's the time just to get right down to it. But I guess my point of the of story is, is that without buttressing that experience with some real valuable human capital investment into that relationship, you might find that you, that you, you leave that, that relationship to, you know, uh, uh, up to someone else to help direct. It's usually not the lowest price that gets you in the door or will keep you there. Right. It's usually not, you know, um, you know, having the, the best slide deck that gets you in the door and keeps you there. It ends up being, you know, uh, this, this relationship capital. Another mentor of mine is, um, Matt Moody. He really gets that side of it. I know, you know, I him. love that guy. And Matt, he, you need to be on this podcast. He need, yeah. And, and he's, he, he understands that, that there's times when you have to tap the brakes and there's times you have to hit the accelerator hard. And those businesses that get it like that are the ones that I think will succeed long-term. I just think this idea of like that if you had never gone to dinner, you never really pitched that company. Right. Like I think that that concept is really yep. fascinating and it's, yeah. it's not just Japan that's happening here uh, in a different way. Obviously like our culture is different, but there's probably companies that are like, I've pitched hundreds of businesses and I haven't landed any of these deals yet but maybe they haven't pitched hundreds of businesses. Maybe they've actually yeah. never made it into what the business would consider the actual pitch. Right. So I think right. that's fascinating. Good insight. Mm. Yeah. I like that. You said that. Hmm. Yeah. So cool. Um, you know, one of the thoughts that I had to just, just as we, that I was hoping to share, um, I've had the opportunity at the chamber to interview some of the, uh, brightest minds that are that are part of the chamber family the ceos pretty much the c-suite and just ask them the question you know uh because m many of them are as a flu as as fluent as they'll ever be in their career right now they're in their late 40s early 50s maybe mid 50s and they're really at a point where they're it's the peak yeah i mean yeah. this is where they're going to have impact and and um you know i asked them what were the principles uh, that got you here? What were those values that really stand out for you and, uh, and made, you know, your career what it is today? What were those things that you stayed strong to? And um, I've had 20 some odd interviews with, with these individuals and there's been a common theme 
and I've 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 received maybe 70 or 80 suggestions on what those values and principles have been and I've distilled them down to 10 and I've been calling them the principles of prosperity and so perhaps in a future time or uh, uh, in another platform and, and I'll, I, I will share with you the 10 most common principles that I'm hearing from the CEOs in our valley about what made this the, this their business work in this valley what makes this valley special and what attributes they feel are important for the next generation of businesses to stay true to in order to continue thriving uh, in, in, in the economy that we have and continue enabling, like enabling the economy to be uh, one of the best economies in the country. So, anyway. all right, we don't want to let the secret out of the bag. We yeah. can't leave us on that. Okay. You need at least the top you got, three got, or five. We need t number 10 at least. All right. <laughs> yeah. Um, Something. All right. One of them is, is uh, chop wood and carry water. The, the art of meritocracy, and it's a difficult word to really get your arms around, but meritocracy in its form of, hey, listen, you, you do the hard work now, it becomes easier later. I've seen that as a common theme. Um, I call that chop wood, carry water. Another one is, is a, a, a principle that's lasted the test of time is spend less than you make. Like, when is that ever wrong, right? I mean, no matter what size of organization or what kind of organization you have, Measure twice, cut once. Give more than you take. Empowerment, not entitlement. Uh, pay it forward. Leave it better than when you found it. Everyone is welcome. Let's celebrate diversity. Let's welcome that. In fact, we were once refugees, right? Making our way out west. We should be the first to raise our hand to welcome and celebrate diversity, equity, inclusion, right? And then uh, the last one is being a role model matters. Now, that one came to me by having a, um, a, a town hall with a certain elected official that was defending, um, and rightfully so, uh, the activities that took place on January 6th. And as we look at that moment in history, right, no matter where you are in the political spectrum, You're that was a moment. incident in Washington. Yeah, and that, that, was, that was a moment, the, the, the insurrection on, on, on our nation's mm -hmm. capital. And I remember, you know, this guest saying that if you really look at every word that was said on, um, on that day, there was really nothing in violation of the Constitution, or nor, nor, nor did anyone really break the law. And then it hit me. Yeah, but doesn't being a role model matter? Because I was stuck on nine principles of prosperity. I couldn't find, you can't stop with nine. It's either seven or 10. So I finally found that 10th principle, and that is just being a role model matters, right? And as we look at mentoring, as we look at engaging, and as you grow businesses, I hope that we never lose sight of that, that value of, of, of being a role model for the next generation of leaders. And that's one of the things I found so endearing as I've interviewed these CEOs throughout the Valley is just, you know, that, that they feel that, that spirit of paying it forward is part of their mission now. And so anyway, principles of prosperity is a fun way to look at the good it. work that you all are doing in this Valley. And, and I, and I think like you or like me, you would find these common threads. Yeah. In, we're in finding them in the podcast for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like there's a forthcoming book or something coming about well, this, maybe. I don't know about that, but but I certainly know that behind every principle, there's a story exactly. of a business yeah. that learned that principle uh, and, and, and are the poster child for it. And it's been fun to see. 
So the work you're doing is great. I mean, this is awesome to be a part of the podcast. And I listened to the previous uh, episodes, uh, several of those, and, and they're all great men and women in their own right. It's fun to hear their stories. So thanks for letting me be a part of it. Yeah, thank you. This was fun. It's been awesome. Anything else you would like to tell the audience before we sign out, Curtis? Anything coming um, up? Anything, any shout outs? Anything you want to mention? No, I, 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 not, not other than the fact that um, uh, you never know whose path you will cross that will impact you or that you will impact their lives for the good. And um, I think that, that, that the gift of storytelling is one that, that you have um, put on a pedestal for the, for the Midnight's, you know, the Midnight Podcast experience. I think it's important people hear those stories. Um, and, uh, I appreciate you letting me, you know, share, share, share mine, but, uh, big fan of what both of you are doing in your own spheres. And, uh, you know, may you continue to, to experience that success so that you can pay that, that experience forward to the next generation of leaders that are coming our way. Thank you. I appreciate that. Where can people find more about what you're doing at the chamber and find you personally? Give so us the chamber.org is, okay. is our website there. I don't know how we got so lucky to get the chamber.org, uh, uh, but uh, it has been around a long time. The Utah to get Valley that chamber. URL, right? Yeah. Someone was, someone was on their a game then. Um, and then, you know, my, my personal website, curtisblair.com. Uh, but I would say that uh, I hope to see, our friends and, and, and fans of your podcast and the community of Rev Road, of CB Vault, at uh, golf tournaments and, uh, um, you know, galas and other, and, other where, and other places where we can cross paths to help, you know, nurture along and, and, and celebrate entrepreneurism uh, in, in Utah Valley. The Midnight Founders Podcast is a podcast about entrepreneurship that is hosted by CB Vault and Rev Road. CB Vault is the entrepreneur arm of Central Bank. And Rev Road is a venture services firm where companies come to grow. Thanks for listening to us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. This is AJ and Jake signing out.